0: Hi, it's David Locke, host of Locked On NBA, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's show, Kevin Arnovitz, ESPN, one of my favorites. Haven't had him on very often. Because Zach Lowe always steals them first. So uh, really excited to have Kevin on. Very intellectual take on the NBA. And he will uh, be joining us. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. They have done great things for us. Particularly uh, thankful to them. And the promo code is LOCKED. You get $20 off your first purchase. All right, let's get it going with Kevin Artovitz. Please make sure that you have subscribed to your daily Locked On podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in to... Locked on NBA, here is the intellectual, the bright, the insightful, Kevin Arnivis.
1: You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Well, Kevin, I thought it'd be fun to start, and I'm just thrilled to have you on. You, you've always been very good at culture, at chemistry, at systems, and we're putting together all of these bizarre mixes of players right now in the league do you think systems make them get along? Do you think chemistry makes them get along? Do you think culture makes them get along?
1: You know makes them get along is, a, is, a, is an odd criteria what makes somebody get along why do you and I enjoy having dinner together and there's somebody else I enjoy having dinner with so by the transitive property of enjoying having dinner together you should but you don't I mean, this is one of the great mysteries of human science. It's We don't know why people love each other. And, and I, I know I'm getting really abstract and sort of moony here for basketball. But I think it's actually, I think this is going to be one of the most interesting questions that the NBA and, for that matter, all of professional sports tackles in the next 15 or 20 years, which is, is there anything we can do to to hack this question that we can just figure out what conditions have to exist to get 1.8 more wins out of this group of guys or that group of guys or actually even though ostensibly this trade sucks we know something about the ingredients in this guy's brain to know that even though he's not as good of a point guard as that guy that on this particular team with this particular collection of players it's going to work and and I, so I don't know what makes people get along and and it's a very the causality of the question is always crazy, right? It's the old chemistry is a three game winning streak. Does does chemistry beget winning, or do teams win because they have good chemistry
0: um, the Minnesota Oklahoma City, what we're watching right now is just fascinating. Uh, I mean the other night in that game, which was a great one, Carmelo checks in at the four thirty mark. His only touch. For the final 4:30, was the three-point shot that gave them the lead before Wiggins hits. He didn't touch the ball. Now, I actually think that's the right thing. I, I don't think they should ever have Carmelo touch the ball late in games when they have Paul George and Russell Westbrook on the floor. But I'm pretty certain Carmelo doesn't think that.
1: It's gonna be interesting to see. I, I'm, a, I'm always a lousy podcast guest in the first two months of the season because I think I have, a, I, have a, I have a firm belief that gets strengthened each year that. Nothing we see in October and November and early December, particularly for teams that are just coming together, has any bearing on reality or or the the, the soon future or what will April or May. Like I, I, just I don't I don't say I don't worry too much. I just I don't know if that's going. I don't know if that's an M O for Oklahoma City. I don't know if that's just. They haven't really figured out how to find Carmelo his spots, and he is a guy who likes his spots. Or if that is distrust or anything else, like I don't, I don't know what to make of that yet. Other than the fact that, um, I mean, other than the fact that their best lineups thus far um, don't even resemble what I'd expect to see on the floor in crucial moments.
0: It's interesting. Let's go back to the almost the first thing you were talking about, and and which gets to the question of kind of. We, all, we play around with this even more existential term of leadership, and I was listening to The Jump the other day, and I can't remember who was on, Rachel, obviously, and I, I think Zach might have been on, and let's go with Steven Jackson, so let's, let's just give them all. And they were talking about what a great leader Chris Paul is, and I was like, why do we think that? Like, what has Chris Paul done that makes we, us think that he leads men in a direction toward a good end result?
1: It's an interesting question. I think leadership is another abstraction that we, we actually have to break down to its component parts. Like, so this is what I know about Chris Paul. I know that in the confines of one possession or six minutes of basketball, um, he's a fantastic leader. Like, you know, even those who are not crazy about him personally, uh, in terms of playing with him on the, on the floor, love the fact that he knows how to set the table. That when Chris is out there, it just all works. It all makes sense. Like, you know what you want to accomplish, and you might not accomplish it. There's going to be a process, and at the highest level of competitive basketball, which is the NBA, when it's really hard to score, Um, as easy as these guys often make it look. Like, it's actually hard to get a clean, good shot in the NBA. I mean, how many possessions do we watch out of the 98, you know, or 97 a team plays on a given night is, not including fast breaks, but in the half court are just uncontested great looks. And the answer is like a really small percentage. For Chris Paul, it's a much greater percentage. And even guys who who find him to be bossy or, or irritating will tell you that he is in terms of now that is a brand of leadership, right? Like that is a that is one component of leadership is, is can you get four other people to buy in to what you think is the best course of action in twenty four seconds? And that, that, that requires leadership. Now the other part of leadership that Chris might not be as good at leadership that is over the course of eight months, if you go to a final, six, seven months, whatever it is, you know, can a team maintain a certain level of equilibrium such that they do not freaking hate coming to work um, when things aren't well. Not hating coming to work when things aren't well, basically, is is, is the definition of the bad chemistry. And um, I think there's some evidence that, depending on the specific personalities, that Chris isn't a perfect leader in that respect. And he might not even be a good leader in that respect. Um, but I also think that, you know, they are, we, it's funny, a guy's been in the league, you know, 10 years. It's actually still relatively small sample size. Like, I think with the specific group of, a, a very specific group of teammates, like, Chris would be fantastic. And I think in Los Angeles, it the personality mixes didn't really provide for that. Now, is that Chris's fault? Is that the other personality's fault? I don't think it's anybody's fault. But I'm with you in that respect. Like, I do think leadership, there are different events in the leadership competition, right? There's the 24-second, there's the one game, there is the six months, there is the team playing, there is the, hey, I'm going to let my coach coach brand of leadership, the Tim Duncan leadership, a guy who rarely ever said anything in a huddle, was not known for locker room speeches, quite possibly the greatest leader of this generation of NBA players, and yet by the conventional measures of leadership that we all think we know, you know Tim didn't do any of that stuff. What did he do? He let Popovich coach, and that's what Popovich said at his ceremony. And by the way, I don't know that that is that, that, that if I don't know if that would even work in any other context. I don't know, you know. I don't know if John Wall sits around saying, "Hey, I need to let Scott Brooks coach." You know, like I don't know if, if that would be the, the the sort of silver bullet in Washington. Um, different leadership leadership demands are different in different contexts. On the Los Angeles Clippers, might require a completely different skill set than being the best leader on the San Antonio Spurs or the Washington Lizards, Oh, did I say Washington Lizards? The Washington Wizards, uh, or the Utah Jazz? So again, I, that it's a great question. And um, but I'm with you. Like like is is Chris Paul an undeniably great leader? Like I don't have any evidence for that. Um, but I also there are very few guys for whom I have great evidence of that. Right. I mean, who is the best leader in the NBA today? I mean, we're around the game. We're not in the locker room. You know, but we hang around. Like, who's the best leader in the NBA today?
0: Well, I mean, LeBron gets some credit for it and gets criticized for it. I do think the fact that everyone wants to play with LeBron contrasting to Kobe is – that's worth that's worth noting,
1: right? Yeah, I think that is definitely worth noting.
0: But, but LeBron also creates chaos. Right.
1: Probably. I'm a huge I'm – I'm a pro-LeBron is a leader wagon. Don't get me wrong. I, I, but, like, he's not a perfect leader.
0: No, and has seemingly gotten – and actually until recently with – I mean, I think that's what was noticeable on Kyrie – was this was the first guy who was like, okay, I've had enough of this. Like, as he's gotten older, he's gotten more cantankerous, he's gotten more difficult. Uh, I've had enough of this.
1: Um, I yeah, and by the way, I mean, I think we think that Kevin Love enjoys playing with LeBron. I'm not sure. I can't say so either way. I think Kevin Love enjoys winning Eastern Conference titles and, and championships, but, uh, you know, it's tough to know. Um, yeah, got, you know, veteran guys who are still reasonably productive role players enjoy playing with LeBron. Um, you know, guys who 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 want the inside track to the Eastern Conference Finals want to play with LeBron. Uh, I, I still believe he's a good leader. I mean, also, I, I, I think he demonstrates it through his play as much as anything else. Um, And and it's such an intangible thing, right? Again, we we just don't even know who the best leaders are. There's no metric for leader. Um, There's no objective measure for it. Uh, We think we know what bad leadership is, but I don't think we know exactly what good leadership is. Um, Is it Avery Bradley, you know, with his arm around Isaiah Thomas – you know, the 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 morning after his, his his sister died. Um, I mean, to me, that's that's great leadership. Is Avery Bradley the best leader in the game? I don't know, but I do know that you know, for for 12 hours, he displayed about as sterling a quality of leadership as you can display. Um, in which, to me, leadership part of leadership is empathy.
0: I think you made a. Good, Who knows? I think you made a good point in there, in the idea of you wanting to go to work. I I think that's much more of this, and so that I think there's some level where this is where i think the chris pauls of the world fail at this and we think of them as a success is i think the leadership is collective energy and so are you allowing your group maybe you're the lead guy in the group but your group to have a collective energy i, I don't think chris paul allows his groups to his clipper groups to ever have a collective energy i think he i think he was so dominating that they didn't they didn't feel that in any way. It was Chris's show, and I'm not sure that they thought they were a part of it. But that, that's that's kind of the feeling I have being around teams. But you know, I mean,
1: that's going to be interesting with the Clippers. I mean, if they win 56 games, I mean, let's say they win 54 games this year. They're really good. Let's say they get to a second round. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, I want to see more. I mean, they, it's Phoenix Lakers and no disrespect to the Jazz. But, I, I mean, I'm curious to see them against a the top five, top ten team. But, yeah, I, I like what I see right now. Um, I really like what I see from Blake. Um, but but you know it, will, will we know any more about Chris Paul's leadership if they perform really well this year? Um, you know can, can we can we make those evaluations retroactively? I don't know. Again, these are the most difficult questions in the NBA. If, if you if if GMs could actually identify this or quantify it or just know objectively about the quality of leadership or, or or what the chemical properties of a team need to be or or. I, I don't know if there's some much more empirical version of the Myers-Briggs test that actually, you know, isn't pseudoscience but is real and, and you knew that you needed three parts of that and one cup of that and a dash of that and, oh, we have too much of that, let's trade that guy because we need more of that. That, that maybe we've been doing it all wrong all these years and it's not that you need X amount of, you know, shooting and X amount of size and rebounding that actually, you know, maybe there are endorphins or, or, or levels of cortisol, whatever it is, you know, the, um, Various things that, that measure the stress and brain. And there actually, I mean, there will be a point, I think, in the next 50 years where we will, typically will have the ability to kind of map brains and know what are going on in guys' heads. And I think that's going to be really, really, you know, it's going to be a really interesting time.
0: Amazing thoughts on leadership there from Kevin. Let me take a quick moment to thank our title sponsor, SeatGeek. SeatGeek has been great to the Lockdown Podcast Network, and I hope you will be great to them as well. Here's why you want to use SeatGeek. One, it compiles all of the tickets everywhere around in one spot for you. It's just an app. It's on your phone. So you go to the Play Store, you go to the iTunes Store, you get your SeatGeek, you download the app, and then all the tickets to any event you might want to go to anywhere in the country are right there for you. My favorite part about SeatGeek is the fact that they have something called the ticket score. That tells me in an arena when I'm on the road and might want to go to a game, if I don't know where the, what the best seats are, then I can go click on it and it shows me which tickets have the best ticket score. That ticket score gives me an idea of where the best prices are. Then once I've purchased the ticket, use the promo code LOCK to get $20 back locked on your first uh, purchase. Then you end up with the ticket secure and right there on your phone. So download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, enter in the promo code LOCKED, you'll get $20 back on your first purchase and you will buy tickets in a brand new, more secure, easier, better way than you ever have before. So let's talk about the opening week of the league because it's hard to tell, and but it's just fascinating. But but let's get um let, let's get, the average pace of play in the league in the first week that we have right now is insane. Yes, like I think the Lakers are at one hundred and twelve possessions per game. The league average is at one hundred and two. What do you think's going on here?
1: Man, do you think it's I think there are fewer guys on the floor that you have to wait for. I mean, this is—I mean—I've been trying to figure out by watching games that, and it's interesting because I've been watching games that I don't think are being played fast, but they are being played fast. And I'm trying. I, I, I think honestly, and I, I went back and watched a little synergy from like oh five oh six or not synergy. I, I like from the mid part of last decade. It occurred to me court possession back 10 years ago. Oh, people didn't the teams didn't get into their stuff until about 16 left on the shot clock. It, you basically walked it up. There were two big guys on the floor who needed time. Um, I mean, you know, Zach Randolphs on the floor and I, I don't this is not an attack on Zach Randolph. He's a certain kind of player. Al Jefferson's a certain kind of player. There were, I mean, every team had two guys like that on the floor at all times with with exceptions. I mean, it just takes them a little while. Like it, it just, you, And by the way, it's not an eternity. It's just the difference between getting into your stuff at 19 and 18 and getting your stuff at 16 and 15. Um, because there aren't big guys on the floor, there's a lot more early offense. There's just a lot of early offense. It's not even fast break. It's just quick. I think the quick hitter, to call it a quick hitter. When was the last time you said quick hitter? Now it's just called offense. You know, I mean, there actually used to be a term for the idea that maybe you get a shot in the first seven or eight seconds of the shot clock now that's just called basketball hang on I mean this is totally unfounded and and, and I'd like someone far more sophisticated and empirically minded than I am to, to figure this out but like that is my observation is if you don't have guys you're waiting for early offense has now become conventional offense and and that and that's that that's basically the deal
0: but offense is no better
1: no yeah I mean I think you're ultimately taking the same shots you're just It takes you less time to get in there.
0: Then what's the value? So this is what's interesting to me, is there's yet to be a correlation between pace and offensive efficiency. And there's, other than when you isolate, if you isolate, so if you isolate a possession, there's no question, you score better early in the shot clock. But I start to go, there's no correlation actually between pace and winning
1: at all. I, I mean, and this is one of the great mysteries. I honestly do not have an explanation for that. If You're getting into your offense early. I mean, I, I mean, what's the line of thinking here? Shots earlier. Presumably, you don't shoot until it's a reasonably good shot, so we should be seeing better offense. I mean, maybe that's just not the, maybe that's just not the case. Um, I, I have no idea. Do you have an explanation for this? No. Why? Though we're seeing faster. Play, play with better, seemingly better offensive players, why we aren't seeing more efficient offense.
0: Well, I think those teams that run extended sets and set picks and move and do all, that's hard. I, I think there's a lot of stuff in the league in which they we don't do what's
1: hard. If that makes sense. But I, I think I'll also say this. And I love systems, as you said, as much as anybody. And I love good Spurs, circa 2013, offense as much as anybody. Um, the Utah Jazz, a team that does that as much as anybody, is that because they like doing that? Is that because they're paying homage to aesthetics? Is it because it's it's playing quote the right way, or is it because necessity? I mean, that that, that would be my question. Is is it something, or because they that is the they don't have any real natural natural creators, and you know they have to be resourceful to find good shots. And by the way, it speaks very well of what the current Utah Jazz, Quinn Snyder Utah Jazz, are, which is like they are extremely resourceful because you know there isn't a lot of kind of raw offense on. There's no one who's going to break it down on that on that team right now, and so is all that stuff. It, 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 like, let, I mean, let's look at the best offenses in the league. I mean, the, the Warriors run a lot of good stuff, I and mean, they run a lot of beautiful stuff. Um, they don't have to work as hard for it. But uh, you know, the Wizards have been a good offensive team. Portland's been a traditionally good offensive team. The Clippers have always been a pretty good offensive team. I mean, are they? Are those offenses other than Golden State? Eh, Portland, I guess, under you know Terry Stotts, also runs a lot of what we would call good stuff. Though I think it's it's less extended sets than what Utah does. I I think they find what they want earlier in the cycle. A little more read and react. They run those nice flares for CJ. I mean, they've got stuff they run. It is a system. But I feel like they find what they want more quickly than Utah. So Utah is running more of it. But is running more of it. Are they running more of it because they're more dedicated to disciplined offense? Or are they running more of it because it takes them longer to find it?
0: You know, or on the simplest terms, just to really kind of play, I don't know if I'm even playing devil's advocate. I might just be right on this. Just the team doesn't make shots, and maybe I keep a number, and it's too early in the season to have this. I, I could probably pull up last year's, but I keep a number of expected points. So in other words, based on where you shot on the floor, because every spot of the, you know, of the for those who aren't following me, restricted area in the paint, non-restricted, mid-range, corner three, and above the break three. They all have right. This is the
1: expected point scored stat, which is my one of my favorites. Hard to kind of find and glean these days, but yeah,
0: yeah. So I keep that, and then the other thing I keep is tier two, which is what is your point value compared to what your expected point value is supposed to be, right? So really, that just comes to be at what level you're just making shots,
1: and yeah, I haven't had those stats at my disposal for a couple of years. Um, We had a Wonderful, wonderful um, database for that stuff. Um, now, yours does yours take into account who's shooting, nope. what that player shoots at that range against with a defender that close? I mean, nope. how many how many variables does it take into nope, account? It just
0: takes into where you shoot from.
1: Just, just the- right. But, but we would agree that the expected field goal percentage for uh, you know Steph Curry from three is different than the expected for. I I don't know, yes. Um Giannis Antetokounmpo from three. Yes,
0: but so this is gets to my point. Last year, the expected point value that existed, the best teams were Golden State, Cavaliers, Clippers, Spurs, Wizards, interestingly the Pacers, Toronto and Utah. So what you actually had is you just had teams that quite simply were the best shooting teams. Right? Right. You know, the Warriors scored six hundred and thirty five more points than they would have been expected, which was about an eight percent their shooting value made them eight percent better than they would than they were otherwise. I mean that's that's a that's an incredible increase. That that's the value of the Warriors shooting last year. Um and you know what's interesting kind of I don't know if this makes any sense but the rockets are the team that takes the the say smartest shots and yet but but part of the reason they were good is they scored 65 points more than they're expected which which is not which is only like 1% like they're the middle of pack team they scored 1% more points than they were supposed to so their where they shot from really had a tremendous impact on on what they did and how you know and how yeah. successful they were
1: are we to assume that because they already were getting the highest percentage shots, there was less room for sort of that 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 improvement overshot? Does that make sense?
0: Yes, I mean this is the next this is the next level of right. stuff that I'm not smart enough to go figure out. Is like, right, like, like how much
1: more can you maximize if every shot is at the rim or or from three? Right, like the the your and maybe again I, I don't I don't I don't know what your data is, but. um yeah, I mean that that could be one explanation, but no. Look, why increased pacing and incre- like you know, and the increased three point shot isn't resulting in, in decisively more efficient offense is a huge mystery.
0: Well, last year was the first and, time. And, yeah, La- last year was the first big jump we've had offensively in quite some time.
1: Yeah, but uh, I mean, we'll see if it continues. I, I I suspect it will. Just again, just because of personnel. Um, and, and then the bigger question I have is: Is there going to be a team that zags, or is that that experiment over? Memphis has been good but not great. Um, the Indiana team, and four years ago, was was g- very good but not elite. And it, it's simply you can't compete at that level playing that way. Or is someone gonna gonna leverage all the focus on having a bunch of small, you know, relatively, you know, not 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 what we would call physical players. Out there buzzing around, and, and they're just going to kind of win the size game, and that's why I think what Milwaukee's doing is kind of interesting, just because they're going to have a ton of length on the floor, um, but it won't look like a plodding large team. It'll, you know, it, it, it will be length, but but we'll have all the properties and the agility of of a, of a run and gun team.
0: I talked to a scout last night, um, whose comment to me was, "Nobody in this league is defending anymore,"
1: which makes defense more valuable. Buy it. Right. So, yeah, exactly, which is, I mean, is it nobody's, def- I mean, I see guys working on defense. I mean, I think there are a lot of really good defenders, but you're right. Like, I, I think, it, it seems to me the league is sort of, I don't know that it's conscious, but it's collectively come to the view of, unless your guy is Rudy Gobert or DeAndre Jordan or Marc Gasol or, or, or you know, one a guy who we would consider sort of a, a perennial candidate for defensive player of the year and truly can affect the game when he's in there uh, probably doesn't compromise you offensively too much though. You know, in most cases doesn't have range yet, but we know where to stash him or, or he rolls hard, you know, like, like Jordan uh, that, that, that it's just not worth it. That The, 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 the sort of marginal benefit of, of that large body just isn't worth attacks on your offensive scheme, um, or, or your ability to space the floor, or your ability to run um, and get earlier offense. So I, I don't know so much as the league's not defending because I see just a lot of good defenders. Um, I just think that defense has ceased to be the reason you organize a basketball team the way you do. Like, like, no one's gonna, you know, I I mean, within reason, I mean, I think the Jazz have made a conscious effort that, look, look, I I don't, again, I I don't know how conscious is in this respect, oh, we're going to be a top ten defense, but they are clearly putting a premium on good defense. Oh, I you know, and maybe that's because, hey, we know we're not going to attract the top 10 offensive talent in the free agency market just because of where we are. I mean, I think Milwaukee had, had kind of gone about that for a while with Larry Sanders and Henson and, you know, guys who were kind of, you know, classified as both long and good defenders. And now I think obviously it's become something else, but um I don't know. I mean, I think the league, I mean, I don't think the league's not defending. I just think it's no longer, you know, never will you, you know, the, all, like never will you opt for the better. The, the days of Deshaun Stevenson being on the floor in lieu of another guy, you know, you know, somebody more kind of off, an offensive-minded sniper are just over. Like, like the 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 benefit has to be so dramatically tilted in that favor that otherwise, no, you're going to go with somebody who helps you space.
0: All right. Before uh, we wrap up too much, let, let's. I know it's early, and uh, you would probably like the more non-tangible conversation than the tangible. But let's let's. Run. No, because I can
1: BS in a non-tangible. I mean, you start asking me specific questions about specific things. I'm an idiot, but you know, I can <laughs> I can wax like this all day and just you know speak in abstractions and concepts and 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 just sort of pontificate. It's much more. Yeah, fine. So now you're going to actually yep. make me. There's
0: a growing, you know,
1: define my yeah.
0: There's a growing feeling around the league that the preseason hype on Denver was misplaced.
1: That's the vibe I'm
0: getting talking to people. What's your, what's your thought?
1: I mean, this is, and also this is why I'm lousy at this part of the show. I don't know. They have played three games. I don't know. <laughs> they have officially completed four percent of their season. Um, I, I, I do not know yet. I, I want to see how it works defensively. And that was my—I mean, I, I, maybe it was on the Zach or whoever it was. I mean, that, that was my one. Was I want to see how it works defensively. I mean, I know Millsap to be a good defender. I, I, you know, I don't think Murray knows the defensive game yet. I think he has the tools to be a decent defender. Harris, I think, has you know, can be a generally good defender, and I like his size and. And, and whatnot, but I don't. I wasn't as sure that this was a above-average NBA defensive team. And so, if you're not an above-average NBA defensive team, now we play that old game, which is, right? How just is Denver a top three or four offensive team? And if the answer is no, well, now, you know, now it's looking much closer to forty-three wins. And um, you know, that that's sort of my thing. Is uh, is the hype? Yeah, I think the hype didn't take into account potential pitfalls defensively, which. Still are works in progress, but um, I, I, was there all that much hype? I mean, who's picking them top four? Anybody? No, I, I, don't I, mean, think, I, I think we I saw think people he, taking them as, as a playoff team. They were going to be an interesting in the mix for 6-7-8, right? I mean, that yeah, was I, always the... And I think their
0: vibe right now all of a sudden is that, they're, that maybe Millsap is your go-to guy at 31 years old and some of the other youth around them that maybe everybody jumped the gun a little bit and they're actually yeah. not a playoff team. Yeah. And,
1: by the way, they've been a decent defensive team through three games. I mean, actually, I don't think that's been their issue. Um, just I, think, I think also teams with new personnel just take a while. I, I won't know anything about the Denver Nuggets till like mid-December. I won't know anything about the Los Angeles Clippers till mid-December. I mean, teams that have just drastically new kind of personnel, you know, who, who one of their two best players didn't exist on their roster last year, is, I, I think are impossible to evaluate for like two months, unless it just happens to come together right away, you know, the 08, Celtics or something, but I, yeah, I, I don't know, but I, uh, yeah, but I, 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 worry about them defensively, even though it actually hasn't been the issue thus far.
0: Are you mesmerized by Oklahoma City? I find myself just can't help but watching Oklahoma City.
1: Um, I haven't seen a lot of them yet, just to be uh, perfectly honest. I have seen some of them. Um, yeah, just cause it's just so novel. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm really curious to see if it settles into any system or it's going to continue to be kind of provisional the way it is. And maybe the answer is: is it just is going to be improvisational, and not so much improvisational, but just you know, when you have creators like that on the floor congregated, the, the the idea that you have to like you know why why orchestrate a shot if one can be created out of thin air? You know, it's one of the great riddles for teams that have personnel like this. And I remember the, covering 2010, 2011 Miami Heat, which is: is there even a system here, or uh, was the system a star system? And I, I'm curious to see what materializes. Like, like we, don't, we haven't seen patterns yet, right? Like, to me, that's what kind of becomes interesting is when you have a team with this kind of talent that comes together, the moment you start seeing patterns emerge, oh, okay, that, that, that's how this is going to work. And I haven't had that moment yet with, with Oklahoma City. It, it Again, it's just been pure spectacle thus far in, like, probably the four or five quarters I've watched.
0: Carmelo's just so inefficient. I I loved Oklahoma City till they got Carmelo, and now I actually don't at all.
1: Yeah, I got in trouble for sort of saying I don't think he made them more than a one-win better. I I, I'm, I think you would agree with me. You do the trade, right? Or you just don't, don't even do the trade. No, I
0: mean I think he made them three spots in the standings worse.
1: Wow, you are you. I mean, you just think he's a, he is going to. he just think he's going to kill them.
0: Uh, uh yeah, partially because I think the Russell Westbrook, Paul George combination was just awesome. And now you have um, an inefficient third players taking 20.
1: There, there's no value. In but but, you, but, but, he, but he, you said he wasn't getting touches. I mean, isn't that what you want? Well, I mean, maybe that'll just be the way it is.
0: Well, if they do that, it'll be great. But that was the first time they've done it. Otherwise, he's led them in shot attempts. I think he still does lead them in shot attempts. There's no value. The, High-usage inefficient players are... <laughs> are a death nail unless the one exception to that rule is if you don't have another high usage player, right? So if you have a, if you have a high usage guy and nobody in your, in your team and your roster struggles to get possessions used, then there's a minor value to having a high usage, slightly inefficient player. There's no value. In fact, it's a death nail to have a high usage, inefficient player when you have other high, usage players around you
1: it's interesting they uh, three of them on the floor together offensive rating 103 1 in 67 minutes and obviously we're I mean this is small sample size theater at, at its very worst um, 103 zero defensive rating so offensively it's been sluggish with the three of them on the floor together thus far um, it's also been relatively slow paced to the rest of the league which is I don't think it's that interesting that interesting given to but, who the personnel is no but. that
0: is very wait but that is very interesting because russell westbrook's brilliance is in the first seven of the shot clock set seven seconds of the shot clock and by making him play with carmelo and paul george you're taking away what russ does that that's that's the evolution of that team is that if they're going to be good this year, Russ has to go back to being the first seven seconds of the shot clock. And then if he's not move forward, but go look at Russ. Uh, actually, I'll do it right now. If I can find it. If you look at Russ's numbers on how he works inside the shot clock, he's, he's gotta be in a, if you get him into the second half of the shot clock, he's not great.
1: The question becomes, and you know, it was very funny. Um, you know, he he scoffed at the idea of coming off the bench. I mean, it, 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 the, the sheer suggestion was very offensive to him when he was asked that at the press conference during training camp. Um, I, and and I, I don't think... It, it, but the question will be, is, is is there going to be sense in doing that? I mean, if he's going to play 31 minutes a night, 32 minutes a night, does it not make sense for, you know, 16 of those minutes to be kind of second, against second units where he can just be Carmelo and where I think he would actually be a reasonably efficient player See, sorry, within the context of those yeah.
0: so you and I are in a
1: 12, 13 positions.
0: You and I are in a different world there because I, I think the, that's what they're doing. Right now what they're doing is they're letting Carmelo run the second unit by himself. And I think the first change they have to make is let Paul George run the second unit by himself.
1: So you would okay. So you you would be Paul George as your as your sole practitioner in the in the in the second they're
0: year. They're so bad. Not when Carmelo's just out there by himself. I mean, they actually were pretty good in the fourth quarter.
1: For you Louis mean they're Riley, they're kind of was. like if only there was a you're right if, if only there was a a, a sample of, of Carmelo playing with four <laughs> substandard basketball players that we could actually see in action over a course of several years and evaluate whether it's a good idea right yeah like basically it's the New York Knicks. Uh,
0: so here's here's what's fascinating to me, and then I'll let you go. And and these are two of the teams I've seen. But so the Clippers have these incredibly high efficient: Lou Williams, Danilo Gallinari, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin's pretty efficient, not as efficient as those three. But those are those are three of the most efficient offensive players in the league. Um, even with DeAndre's free throw shooting, and and they're all kind of moderate possession users. And then you have Blake, who's your high possession user, who's above average, but he's not dramatically. He's not Durant. He's not Curry. And then everybody else on their roster but Wesley Johnson uses a possession above the league average. To me, I actually think that's like the perfect model of an offensive team if you're not going to be yes. a superpower. And I think they're going to be terrific. Oklahoma City is actually the opposite. Oklahoma City is here's Russ, who's actually just league average in his efficiency. He's not above league average, he's well above league average in his clutchness and a bunch of, but just his possession usage over the course of a game, he's league average. You have Paul George, who's c- c- good and above league average, and you have Carmelo, who's way below league average in his possession usage. And that's like the worst way to build a team, actually.
1: Yeah. No, and, and this is why, actually, it's funny. My, um, one of my editors uh, and, and Hoop Collective producer, uh, Andrew Hahn, was also very high on the Clippers for a very similar reason. It's sort of this perfect marriage of efficiency and need. And, and guys need just enough of the basketball that, that and the, you know, all are sort of generally efficient. That you know, there's enough defense. Like that, it's just the sort of the collection of attributes with respect to efficiency and and ball need. And there's no stat for ball need. I guess that's usage, but not really. Doesn't always reflect. Yeah, just because a guy is high usage doesn't mean he needs those possessions sort of emotionally. Um, But that that you. So you're really high. I mean, you think the Clippers could be a, a top four seed and wouldn't 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 surprise you at all
0: clippers are my fourth seat i understand they gotta stay healthy but so does everybody
1: no and now that's the andrew makes a very similar argument to you and and it's and it's it seems well founded i'm still i'm very non-committal like i I just need to see more before i I figure out whether it works and i i do think they're going to miss Milos. i I think that was a a wonderful that that four guard rotation just in terms of it it just kind of fit i mean you, you had just in terms of skill set and overlap and complementary part, it just, I was very happy with that four guard rotation. Even though, other than Beverly, none of those four guys are guys I say, oh, that's somebody I want on my team. But as a collective, it just kind of worked as a, as a guard rotation a lot. So I'm, I think gonna, they are going to miss me, Lush.
0: They may, you made the comment earlier about, I want to see them against top teams. They may get hammered every time they play a top team. I think they'll beat every non-top team, which is a huge part of this league no one talks about.
1: There's three things. Right, out. you mean just, just kind of like beating the cupcakes every night and then kind of, you know, just, just kind of the, the war of attrition against the top teams. All of a sudden you, you've won 51 games, yep. but you're not that that good once you kind of cut away the fat and the, and the lousy teams. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's a huge part of this league is just beating Orlando on a, on a Wednesday night.
0: The three things that I don't think are, that we have knowledge of in this league are that right there, that value, This, this uh, actually four things. The two things we've just talked about, these are my hot buttons. Two is the curse of a negative, of an inefficient offensive player. I mean, I just, particularly just negative possession users in my mind are just so detrimental. Two is the, what we, beating bad teams. Three is the, I, I don't know whether we know whether defense or offense is more consistent. And the last one is the value of depth, which is the Spursian value of, you don't think our, team's that good, but I've got 10 quality players I'm sending out. For all it's
1: interesting, games. though, because the depth thing is always is always up for debate. Because, I mean, I remember, I think it was Zach Lowe who wrote a piece, I think, before the Warriors were really real. I think it was, why not the Warriors? It was, it was sort of a, an early canary in the coal mine Warriors piece. And I remember Bob Myers, I think at the time there were questions about Golden State's depth. And Myers had you know, it turned out to be, I guess I wouldn't call maybe prophetic, but, but he, you know, he said, look, at the end of the day, when you get to the playoffs, you're an eight and nine rotation, man rotation team. So depth in some ways is over. his message was, is that depth can be overstated. You know, we, we sit here, you know, kind of twisting ourselves into knots about who's going to be that, that fourth big or, or that fourth guard. And at the end of the day, you know, given how possessions are distributed, that the depth can be, overstated I, I i to me i'm a belt and suspenders person by nature like i get to the airport three hours early so i like i like having depth if i were a gm i would probably twist myself and knots over the 11th guy because it's just my temperament but i do appreciate the idea that that when you really want to measure elitism it doesn't matter who that ninth guy is
0: 100 percent agree with you i think i was asking the question for regular season basketball your answer okay. is completely right on An unquestionable imposter.
1: Oh, you're saying uh, this goes with the you need to be Orlando on a Wednesday night. Like, in other words, if you want to win 54 games as a pretty good team, and there are a lot of pretty good teams that win a lot of games, you're saying this is one of the ways you do it. You just have that depth. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay, I got you. I got you. So, yeah, we we fundamentally agree. Okay.
0: Kevin, I could talk to you for hours. Maybe we'll just have to do it again. It's nice to get you on every time I've called you before. That... Zach Lowe guy has you on right beforehand, then I have to wait. So I'm glad we snuck it in. You're awesome. I'm sorry we didn't see each other yesterday. Let's spend some time together this season.
1: You bet. I'll talk to you soon.